Greetings, Quester, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. Hi, and welcome to the, this episode of the Meddlesome Meeples. I'm Matt. I'm Richard. I'm Heather. What we got? What games will we be talking about this week, Richard? Well, today in games we're going to be talking about flux. A few different types of flux, and also about Inish. And there's going to be we're going to briefly mention Martians, aren't we? But there's going to be a more comprehensive rant about that another week. Yeah. Are we discussing music with Matt? And of course, the topic of conversation this week will be brought to you by this guy. Who is he? He is Cthulhu. Mm. You have to say his name. Master of all he surveys. <laughs> It's going to take me a while to get used to the fact that people listening in on a podcast can't actually see what I'm holding up. I'm used to working on video. Sorry. Um, we'll also be looking at the book review, which we'll be present, uh, presenting with Richard at the end of this week's episode. So, we hope you enjoy this week's show. Okay, so the next game that we're going to talk about is one that we played recently, which is Inish. And uh, Matt's going to give a brief overview of that. Yeah, okay, it was an area control game. Very good, unusual artwork, I thought, on the box and mm. on the cards and everything. Um, basically, the game is played over two different phases. You have the uh, assembly phase, which is where primarily people are checking to see if they've won. If they've completed the uh, victory conditions, uh, they are uh, taking some cards for areas they control, um, and then you're on to dealing the action cards. Now, the action cards are really what the game revolves around, which are these things. So the way this happens, we've played this as a two-player game, uh, and you have card drafting at the start of every round. So you shuffle, um, you deal three cards. You look at the three cards in front of you, you pick one to keep, you put that down, and you pass two cards to the other player. They then have, are passing their two cards to you, and then you're looking at the cards in front of you, then deciding one to keep and passing two, uh, passing one back. And you do that twice, so by the time you finish the drafting phase, you'll have an action card hand of six cards, plus any advantage cards that you might have, or any epic cards from the... Um, from the round before and then you're trying to play those cards to gain control of various territories now the tiles are shaped like this we'll put a couple of pictures up on the on our Instagram page because it really is an unusual shape with these hexes I'll describe them as best I can imagine three three strange hexes jo all joined together um, and you could imagine them almost like a bit of a Y shape, but with really jagged edges all the way round, if that makes any sense to you. They're a very unusual shape. Uh, however, because of how unusual the shape is, it actually really works to the game's advantage. The reason being, with many tile-based games and tile-based maps, the tiles are constantly shifting, but because of the way these are cut, they just lock nicely into position. And they, it's just interesting because they're an unusual shape. Mm -hmm. um, now, the cards that you play allow you to do different things. So you might be able to move your miniatures around the board. And just as a side note, 
you have 12 different miniatures uh, to control, each one are referred to as a clan, but there are actually four different molds for each miniature, so you end up with four different molds. It doesn't make any difference, it's just nice to have different miniatures. And again, we'll upload a picture of that to our Instagram page, or you'll be able to see some of the pictures um, on our YouTube videos. So you'll be playing action cards uh, to be able to put some of your figures, or clans as they're called, onto the uh, various tiles uh, to move them from one tile to another. And if you've got the most clans in a tile, then you control that tile. You are the chieftain of that tile. And if there's somebody else with less if there, um, clans in that same tile, then you're chieftain over them. And one of the uh, victory conditions is to be chieftain over six or more opposing clans. There's another one to be present in six or more territories. Again, that's really interesting because usually you have to have control of a territory. Here you just have to be present in those six territories. And if you move your clans into a territory uh, that has an opposing clan in there, then that would ordinarily trigger a battle, although it doesn't have to trigger a battle. Because you don't actually have to fight, do you? You can choose yeah. to fight or not, so you could be both in the same territory. Yeah, so when you, whenever you move into a, a territory, when you move a miniature from one territory to another territory, there's always the option to fight. Now, if you choose not to fight, everybody has to agree not to fight. Mm -hmm. um, and so the battle mechanic in here is fairly straightforward, but actually quite interesting. You attack somebody, they have to either remove one of their clans, one of their figures from the board, or they have to discard a card from their hand. So it it can actually be quite damaging to mm. both parties. It's expensive. Uh, it? Because yeah. it's very much a to and fro, isn't it? It's, mm. I'm getting rid of one of yours, now you're going to get rid of one of mine and, and see who controls in the end. Exactly. You, I think I'll stop there. Yeah. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can stop combat. You don't have to run to its conclusion, though. If you were going to start a combat, mm. I wouldn't... No, I don't see why you wouldn't see it all the way through to the end. Um, but yeah, there is the option if everyone agrees to stop combat. There's also the option to withdraw your troops from combat, provided you've got a territory that you control that you can move into. Also, some of the cards will allow you to take an enemy's um, figure off and put one of yours in place, effectively getting them to switch allegiance, which is something that Richard did to me almost through the entirety of the game when yeah, we we're going to talk we about that yeah, yeah we, we will be talking about that <laughs> but it's yeah. it's a very fun game there are things in it I mean a lot of people compare it compared it to games like Kemet and Blood Rage from what I've heard in Cry Havoc to me there is it's very much in its own category because of the way that the combat works the way that the, uh, the action cards work I love the drafting mechanic that's in there um, there is a lot to this game but it can finish very quickly and I think the more plays you've got probably the quicker you'll end up finishing it I mean our game lasted I think three quarters of an hour yeah it wasn't that long but yeah. you could definitely finish this game in 30 minutes quite quite easily and you'd still have a, a lot of fun in that time yeah. Richard what were your thoughts on the game well like you said I thought it was it was very unique I don't really uh, think I can compare it to um, another game directly like I can with some other games but the thing I really liked about it was these action cards um, as you were saying we get them each turn by drafting mm -hmm. so obviously you get a, a good chance to have a look at what cards your opponent has 
because obviously you're looking at them and then handing them over each time. And uh, although in a in a three player game or a four player game, they would be it would be harder to keep track of. Yeah, that. Just in a two player <laughs> game, you kind of think, well, I haven't got this, so you must have this. Yeah, yeah. So I think playing it two player to start off with was a really good mm. way to learn the game because we saw each card quite a lot of times, didn't mm. we? So yeah, I had a few of my favourite cards as as I like Matt was talking about this new alliance card. That is the one that I kept using. And it's basically a way of recruiting. So every time you want to bring a new clan out onto the board, you have to use a card that lets you do that. And rather than use uh, one that um, just lets you summon them directly, trying to see uh, which particular one that is, new clans. There's a new clans card there. So you could you could just put one, uh, two on the board for doing that. Um, this new alliance card lets you either place one clan, so if they're not quite as powerful there, or you have the option to choose an opponent with two or more clans in his territory and replace one of his clans with one of yours. I call that the sneaky git card. <laughs> okay, so basically I was changing one of Matt's card, uh, clans into one of mine. So that ended up having quite a big effect in a lot of the territories that... If there was both of us there, say Matt had two... Um, clans there and I had one suddenly I was the one with the two clans and Matt only had one so really the effect is very similar to if I just put two down Um, and it lets me conserve mine as well because you only get is this a whole bag of yeah Yeah, it's only 12 clans and what did happen to us is that we ended up well you know what happened by, by the time you got that card. Yeah, yeah. This, this, this this really annoyed <laughs> me because I just couldn't get this during the drafting. And then by the time I finally did get it, I'd already got all my guys on the board, which meant I couldn't actually use the thing. Yes. I couldn't use it to either place a clan or to turn one of his guys into one of my guys. Yeah, because once they're all down, they're down. Once they're down, so, they're down. Yeah. It's not, you, don't, you can't keep adding. You're, you're limited by the, uh, the 12 figures. But, um, yeah, that made us start to fight, though, didn't it? It did. And uh, <laughs> not, not, not because you were so mad about and it. And not literally, maybe, in the game. <laughs> yeah, in the game. Because like we had these cards that ended up being useless mm. because we couldn't actually summon any more clans to the board because we didn't have any in reserve. But So really, we had to start um, having battles, which we might not have done otherwise because there was a mm. lot of territory to expand into. There was um, little... These citadels, citadels, aren't they? Called. Citadels to build and sanctuaries. Which are just made kick clear as well. Sanctuaries are one of the victory conditions for the game. Yeah, one of the victory conditions is to be present in territories with six or more total sanctuaries. Now, that's not controlling territories with six or more sanctuaries. Just being present in six or more total sanctuaries, even if other players control every one. Citadels actually don't contribute towards the victory conditions at all. But it does mean that if you've, uh, if a, someone attacks you and you've got one of these in your in that territory, you can pop one of your figures if you choose to into the citadel, uh, and they won't come out until the battle's actually complete. Which means yes. that by the end of the battle, you'll still have at least mm. one guy left in that territory. Yeah, so you can protect one of your clans in there. Uh, the other card I was going to talk about was the druid one, and uh, light shine on it. This was one that. I was using in conjunction with the uh, the new alliance one because this card actually lets you take a card back out of the discard pile. So I was using the new alliance one again. So um, yeah, if the card didn't sound too annoying, 
when we described it before, just imagine that was using it twice every round. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then... it was incredibly, incredibly annoying. But, but you there, know what? Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. It was fine. It, <laughs> I yeah, wasn't there getting yeah. upset thinking, oh, this card is making my life really difficult. Mm. I was thinking, damn it, I want that card. You know? <laughs> yeah, because although we were kind of obsessing over just a few cards, it was the first time we'd ever played. And I think another time we might realise that some other cards are more powerful yeah. if you use different tactics. And also, we've not even spoken about the advantage cards if you've got control of a particular territory be it lost Vale, stone circle one of the other areas you get to have at the start of the um, the round an advantage card which means you've got an extra card to play in your hand which can let you do different things and some of those are very powerful and affect mm. combat quite a bit and also there are things that you can do to get an epic card now the epic cards are even more powerful than either of these and let you do tremendous things. Um, we didn't go through too many of those, did we, when we played? No. And I didn't want to look through them all because I like the, the surprise of it. But the ones that we did see were all really, really good. And you could um, you could hold on to those until you played it. Whereas with the advantage cards, um, you only had them for that round that you control the territory. If you didn't play it, then you could potentially lose it if someone took that territory off you. Yeah, if somebody did take the territory, you could keep it for the rest of that round, couldn't That's you? That's right, yeah, and so, you could still use it during that round. Yeah. Which maybe gives you an, an advantage in trying to get the round that uh, territory back. So yeah, just to recap, there are three victory conditions. The first one is to be chieftain over six or more opposing clans. Um, now that's a case of working out how many uh, enemy clans are in territories that you can troll doesn't have to be six territories you could have two territories and control three enemy clans in each one of those the other condition is being present not controlling but present in territories with six or more total sanctuaries and the other condition is to be present in six or more territories not control just to be there and then there are deed tokens now um, players can get deed tokens by playing cards like the bard card or the master craftsman card and deed tokens are essentially like a wild card towards meeting any one victory condition. In essence, you could go, well, um, you've got present in six uh, in territories with six or more sanctuaries, and you're chiefing over six or more opposing clans, but so am I. But I've got this deed token, and I can contribute that towards being present in six or more territories, and use the deed token to meet that victory condition, which means I've got three victory conditions to your two. It's kind of like a tiebreaker. Very interesting little game mechanic. It's one I would highly recommend. Um, this is definitely staying in my collection. It, one of the things that I liked as well was how easy it was to learn and to teach. Yes, actually, because, like we are saying with the drafting, um, by the time we'd done about two rounds, we'd seen most of the cards, hadn't we? Yeah. And we were just... We weren't thinking about, oh, how do you do this anymore? We were thinking about our tactics and things. So. And the cards explain exactly what to do and how to use them. So you haven't got to go through the rule book and think, oh, what does this do? How do I use this? It's all there on the card in front of you. It, I say, and I think the um, the look of the game is has got a charm to it. Mm. Very beautiful game, very well made by Matago. And uh, definitely one for the collection. Yeah, yeah, it's one we'll have to try and play with different numbers of players as well, isn't it, really? Rather yeah. than just the, the two players. So. Hopefully we'll be playing it again in the next week or so. Yeah. Okay. So, that was our thoughts on the game. We hope you enjoy that. Let us know what you think of the game in the comments below. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Well, that was fun. Let's carry on with the show.
The Meeple's Alive! Okay, so we're going to talk about Flux today. And Flux, just as a brief overview, is um, a card game. It comes in very uh, many different varieties. It seems like it's quite a simple game at first, and it is. But it is quite chaotic as well. Because basically the, go the game starts in quite a simple way. Like uh, the rules will be you take one card when it's your turn and you play one card onto the table. But then some of the cards that you play will actually change those rules. So you might start to uh, draw two cards each time and play one. You could be drawing four and having to play them all. Or you could be drawing five and only still only be able to play one. And then there's a hand limit which makes you discard them. Now that changes what you actually do quite a lot. But um, one of the interesting things is the fact that the goal will change as well. What you actually need to do to win the game. So this is decided by a goal card that will be played. But at any time in the game on, on their turn someone could play another goal card which will replace the one that's already in play. So you might be working towards something and then suddenly the goal changes and uh, then you have to start trying to do something else. So that's basically what Flux is. Um, the different types of Flux, mostly it's just different themes. So it'll be the same game but there'll be different types of cards that you're collecting um, with a different theme as I say. But some of them, uh, some of the rules are a little bit different so we're going to talk about some of those as well. So these are the main types that we've uh, got to to talk about. We'll, um, so we'll just, we'll just talk about some of these anyway if you want to use. Yeah well there's, um, as we say, there's a lot of different versions of Flux. So you've got the Adventure Time Flux, Oz Flux, Monster Flux, Pirate Flux, uh, Cartoon Network Flux. Mm. Two that I particularly wanted to really enjoy, the Batman Flux and the Firefly Flux. Mm. All in all, there's, there's well over ten different varieties, aren't there? Mm -hmm. But uh, we did think a lot of these, although some of them have, as Richard says, slightly different mechanics. So for example, with the Pirate one, you tend to spend a lot of the emphasis of the game um, stealing other players cards because you're pirates and you steal things however th there were three in particular that we wanted to talk about because we think that they are the best and they offer something a little bit different um, so the three that we wanted to talk about today was Monty Python Flux mm -hmm. the Star Flux and Cthulhu Flux mm. so Richard what did you think of Monty Python Flux why does that one stand out to you well Mostly it's because of the theme and it does cover quite a lot of Monty Python and I just think some of the goals are quite uh, interesting in that one. Um, as, we, we, as I was talking about with the goals before, there are some uh, very different, just, just as an example of some of the different ones that we you might have to go for, um, this goal is called Squashed From Above. And to win this, win the game when that card is in play, you would need to have the finger of God and the foot in on the table in front of you. But while you're collecting those, you could suddenly get um, the Book of Armaments used instead, which would replace that as a goal, and then you'd have to collect the Holy Hand Grenade and the important message. So a lot of these things are things that you will kind of recognise from Monty Python, and it's quite fun just to be collecting these things. Um, and to have it with that theme. I do think that if if you want a, a quick fun game of Flux, Monty Python is the best one to pick up. 
mm. uh, hands down. And the reason for that is, uh, for me, some of the, the rules that you can play, because you play oh, yeah, new rules weird, into the game. Yeah, random rules. Um, I mean, you can have the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch, which is always good, um, which will blow thine enemies to smithereens. Being <laughs> for being yeah. naughty, yes. Yeah. Um, but you can get rules that give you um, more cards to draw if you can quote some of the lines from the film to each other. You also oh, yeah, get new rules where you can um, take an extra card or play an extra card if you uh, sing some of the songs. Yes, so there's or a... speak in an outrageous accent. Which is hilarious, especially yeah. after a, after well, a beer or two. very difficult to keep up, though, until it's your next turn. Yeah, because so. <laughs> yeah, if you keep it up to your next turn, you can then take an extra card on top mm. of the, the the additional card. And so there's a lot of ways to get and play different cards, but it's just a really fun version, and it's definitely the most fun version of the Flux games for me. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so that there's that one. The other one, which is in many ways the better mechanically and the more interesting is Star Flux. Now with Star Flux uh, it's drawn from various sci-fi franchises. So you've got you know the expendable crewman in the red shirt and uh, the the takes on the Jedi Knights and, and on Doctor Who. and so on, almost. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah for copyright reasons we have to say they are almost. Mm. And then you've got um, characters there from Firefly and all sorts of different sci-fi franchises um, and some of the abilities in that is what makes it really interesting to me because mm. um, you can get cars that allow you to do different things so you can get rid of creepers um, cars that allow you to teleport other cards uh, there's a, a card based on the TARDIS which allows you to go through the discard pile and keep playing you know cards that have already been played so that does give you a lot more interesting things to do during the game more even more so than the fun of the theme it's more it's the fact that you can do all these different things mm. that you can't do in almost any of the other kind of flux games which yeah. is why i think that one if you were going to own three copies of flux that would that would be one of the ones i would recommend trying yeah it's nice that it's like you say it's several franchises mm. so it's just various um sci-fi um films and series that you'll recognise quite a lot and it's just quite fun then you get the cards obviously it won't it won't quite say Jedi or something or yeah. it won't be something about Starfleet but, but you know yeah you kind of know what it, what if it you, is if you yeah. play Smash Up you'll mm. know what they're doing <laughs> yeah, well, Smash, yeah Smash Up make it really obvious don't they they're doing that <laughs> okay so yeah that's Star Flux and then the other one I wanted to talk about was Cthulhu Flux this guy <laughs> yeah, we had to have Cthulhu here with us while we were talking about his flux. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a few different rules in that again, isn't there, that you were going to talk about? There was one that particularly stood out to me. Uh, now, in every edition of uh, flux, you have goals that you're trying to accomplish, which is typically, uh, as we say, you, you're trying to have certain cards in front of you. Mm -hmm. But with flux, uh, uh, Cthulhu, there is a variation on this where you have an ungoal as opposed to a goal. Now what happens is, whereas with the other other versions you you meet the criteria for the goal and you win the game, with an ungoal if it's been played, if the criteria has been met, everybody loses the game, <laughs> which is just typical of a Lovecraft game, just to come yeah, in and kill everybody, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So um, again, the, mechanically, it's not that there are a huge amount of differences from this to some of the other ones. It's just 
the idea of having that on goal for me is it diff makes it different enough to the other editions to warrant considering having that in your collection if you wanted to collect three versions of Cthulhu uh, Flux. Yeah, yeah, and plus Cthulhu games always do really well, don't they? They're always they're always fun. Um, we normally end up going insane um, drawing them, but this is an example of an on goal. Uh, there's this one called Inevitable Doom. So it talks about if the total doom count for the table is six or more and fewer than three investigators have in play, the game ends with no one the winner. So, yeah, as you said, that was just an everybody loses yeah. situation. And, you know, sometimes it's nice to play a game where everybody loses. Mm. Yeah, well, it's yeah, a bit more character building than everybody winning. <laughs> <laughs> I do find that Flux is a game that people either generally love it or they hate it. Uh, a lot of people don't like how random it is. If you don't like games with quite high random elements, they, then you're probably not going to like this game. Also, a lot of the timings is random. I mean, if you look on the size of the boxes, they do specify from 10 minutes to 40 minutes. We've, we've played yeah. games. We've never played a 40-minute game, I think. Half an hour is the longest game we've ever played of we any We've played some that have gone... Seem to, yeah, but... Yeah, they, so quick, it's so they felt longer fire. than yeah. 30 minutes, didn't they? I mean, it, like, in, in 30 minutes, you'd have, like, 100 turns, yeah. basically. It's so so quick to do. Most of our games tend to be probably between 5 and probably between five and 15 minutes. Normally, somebody wins yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. Generally, it's just like a filler game while we're waiting for somebody else or to set, set a few things up. Mm. So, And also, if you do play Stone of Flux, which we can seriously not recommend... Because it, it um, there are toking cards where if you get a card you're supposed to toke. Mm. Uh, so we don't play that one, do we? <clears throat> um, because we don't toke. But there we go. Uh, so I that time that we did play it, we didn't toke. We, we just we just played the game. We tried it out once, didn't we? Uh, well, but we yeah. just didn't toke. But we didn't have anything to toke with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we just played the cards. And Not stuff. that that's the reason why we didn't toke. But um, but yeah, for, for many people. They won't like the random nature of the game, the random length, but it is really just about trying to accept that it is very random, very chaotic, and having the best uh, setup of cards in front of you so that you can turn that chaos to your advantage, because you can quite easily go from being in a position where you have no chance of winning to getting the right card in your hand, you play it and you've won the game. I know somebody can play an action card and steal most of your cards from in front of you, so there is a that lot kind of, of thing can happen. So that does happen still back and random. forth, doesn't it? Yeah, it can be very annoying sometimes, but 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 most of the time it's really fun as mm. well. So it is a game that we like, isn't it? Even mm. though, uh, yeah, like you say, some people might find that annoying. <laughs> though, as I say, those those are the three versions that we tend to go for. Obviously, if you like something else, please let us know in the comments. Let us know what you think. If you've tried any of these three, I uh, hope you enjoy it. Hey, everyone. This is Sammy, Sammy Burrell. And you listen to... The Middlesome Meeples! <laughs> Okay, so first up, um, we have from Sweden, the guitarist Sammy Burrell is releasing his debut album with Goran Edman and Mike Buscera, two rock heavyweights. Uh, if you are familiar with their previous work, you can know what to expect from them on this album. Their uh, vocals are perfectly up to form. Listen to the first few tracks on there, it's good stuff. The album is um, going to be called Passion Dreams. It'll be out on March the 17th. Basically, if you're into uh, early Yunri Malmsteen, 
or John Norum's early solo stuff, this is an album for you. Next we have the Supernova Plasma Jets and they're to release their first Fat Album ever. It's a German based band and lead singer is a woman called Jennifer Crush and they're out on AOR Heaven on the 24th of February and if you want to check out what they sound like you can have a look at what they sound like on our website. Also uh, big news for Kansas fans, the band are releasing their first album in 16 years. That's already out right now, the Prelude Implicit. Uh, you can buy that on iTunes, Amazon. They've got a tour coming out in um, starting in June. They're coming to Europe. There is, however, only five dates, and only one of them is in the UK. Uh, they do have a, a new video out right now. You can check that out uh, on our website. Go take a look. Next, we have 20 Dark 7 to release their album Momentum. It's a new band founded by Margus Jurgens from Brainstorm and they're going to be released by Metalopolis Records. Sorry if I've said that wrong. And that's out on March the 10th this year and they begin touring from March the 12th with Kissing Dynamite and the dates are up on our website now. Yeah, all of those tour dates are in Germany so if you want to go see them it may involve some travelling. Um, they are basically made up of ex-members of Brainstorm, uh, Wicked Temptation, Piledriver and Pump. Pretty cool. um, yeah, there's a pretty good song on their, on that album, uh, Spoke in the Wheels, I think it's called. Uh, when I heard that, it reminded me very much of a heavy Jeff Scott Soto. Of course, there is some variance within that album. Uh, I'll be listening to the rest of that and writing a review fairly soon. Uh, but if you want more information in the meantime, go take a look at our website. Okay, next we have... Empire and they're to release a new album called Hypnotica Plus Three and that's this month on the 24th. It's their first release since 2007. It's a reissue of their first album and plus three brand new bonus songs and they'll also be releasing one new album every three months also with bonus songs this year so there's quite a lot to look forward to. Yeah of course all, the, all of these are reissues with bonus tracks from of the albums released between the year 2001 and 2007. Uh, there were some pretty big names on, on those albums. It was pretty much a super group. You obviously, it was founded by Rolf Monks from uh, Majesty and Razorback, but it also had people on it um, like um, Neil Murray from Whitesnake and Brian May. It had uh, singers like Mark Bowles, Lance King, Tony Martin sang with them. Um, they had people like Anders Johansson on drums from Stratovarius, uh, Don Airy on the keyboards, he obviously famous for being in Rainbow, Deep Purple, he's played with Ten. Um, the mix for some of these albums was made by Stefan Kaufman, Kaufman um, from Except and Udo fame. So some really big names are going to be appearing on these albums, uh, some very good music there. So. Check these out, the first one out, February 24th. And on top of that, um, big news for fans of 10. They've got another album coming out this year. Um, this is obviously following on from the success of Albion and Isla de Muerta. Uh, the mixing has been done by Dennis Ward again. As far as I know, the album's actually been passed on to Frontiers Records, uh, but we're still waiting on some information about a, a definite release date, but it will be out this year. Well, hopefully touring in England. Uh, yeah, UK. Ho 
hopefully we, we should get some more tour dates through. I think this uh, rumour is going around amongst the 10 fans, such as myself, about possible tour dates. Uh, as soon as we know more information, we'll be bringing it back to you. So thank you for watching. Drop us a few comments about if you're looking forward to any of these albums. And if you want any more information on what we've said, as well as a load more uh, news and reviews about the latest from the world of, of rock, uh, visit www.paradiserock.co.uk and we'll keep you updated. Thank you. Bye. So, the topic of discussion for this week is, as in the middle of a very difficult political climate and a lot of uncertainty in the world, we wanted mm -hmm. to discuss the big issue. So the issue for today is, could Aquaman control Cthulhu? Mm. It's is really the question that's on everybody's mind, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. I'm amazed it's not on Newsnight more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, th this kind of originated when we were talking about... Uh, possible costumes for Comic-Con and you had the idea of going as Cthulhu didn't you? <laughs> which Indeed I did <laughs> Yeah, which um, well here is Cthulhu obviously is the main one of the old ones from the works of H.P. Lovecraft and obviously he is terrifying a, um, basically a sea monster but he actually also came from the stars and has been living underwater well, yeah, he's a very horrifying creature to look at, isn't he? You know, he's quite often depicted with like a, a bulbous uh, head, kind of looks like a squid head with tentacles, dragon wings and a human body. So pretty ugly. So, yeah, we were talking about this as a... you going possibly as him. I don't know how you would manage it. It'd be... We'll, we'll show it would you. be tricky. If he manages it, we'll, we'll show what, what, how it ends up being like. <laughs> you will but, see yeah. my shame. <laughs> but then sometimes we, um, well, if a few of us go together, we would kind of have costumes that are a little bit kind of related to each other kind of thing. So, because um, we went as the whole of the Harvey Birdman attorney at law team, which was, that was pretty interesting. But so if, if Matt was going as Cthulhu, then a possible idea would be for me to be like a, a disciple or something and could kind of go in first and then summon him which <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of but I don't know how it would work especially with the long queues I think basically I'd, I'd queue up and then get there and then summon you and then you'd push past everybody <laughs> and just get into Comic-Con that way much like last time <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah pretty much so yeah um but then we just got onto this idea of just thought of um, could Aquaman actually control Cthulhu because obviously one of his powers is to control um, through telepathy uh, sea life basically and fish mm. things like that and Cthulhu lives in the sea so um, I think people have thought of this before but we just didn't have a satisfactory answer did we and that no. was troubling so. <laughs> and uh, I think it's worth putting a bit of background and history to the two two characters. Obviously, <coughs> uh, Cthulhu was invented <coughs> yeah. by H.P. Lovecraft. A long time ago. A long time ago. And then he was continued on uh, through various other mythos writers like uh, August Derleth um, through books produced by Fantasy Flight Games and the games that go with them, the Arkham Horror games. Many, many games based in the Lovecraftian universe. On the other hand, you've also got Aquaman who's, again, been around not quite as long no. as uh, as Cthulhu but still 
he's been around since what the late thirties, early forties. DC started yeah, the Aquaman comics, yeah. and Aquaman has become the butt of jokes. Really, uh, there's lots of jokes and memes about how Aquaman is pathetic and his only power is that he talks to fish. Apparently, it started when he was with the Super Friends. Not yeah, when he started that, getting bullied. That was not a good time for Aquaman. <laughs> right. um, but if you actually go back to the comics. Aquaman is a character that could go toe-to-toe with Superman. He was an incredibly powerful being, um, has telepathic powers. The idea of him being able to control sea life obviously makes people probably think it would go straight in his favour. It's worth noting he can control other forms of life through his telepathy at times. There's been times when he's controlled uh, other humans. But it's also worth noting that in the DC comic book universe... He has fought and defeated uh, species that were based on the ancient ones, the old ones, from Mm. H.P. Lovecraft's writings. But they weren't actually the ancient ones from H.P. Lovecraft's writings. And it was his comic. And it was his comic. (laughs) Can't just die. No. (laughs) No. Uh, And anything can happen in in in, uh, comic books, can't they? So... I do think... Yeah, but it, you can't just say it's not real. <laughs> well, to, to if, answer the if you think it's real, it's real. <laughs> but with regards to the topic in itself, Richard, what do you think? Um, well, at first I thought it was quite obvious that he could because I thought of Cthulhu as being a sea monster. Mm. Um, probably because in the novella call of Cthulhu he does kind of rise out of the sea mm. and um, so I thought although obviously he's massive and very um, intimidating and powerful that the Aquaman would be able to exert some kind of control over him but after doing a bit more research about it um, I think it very much depends on what uh, incarnation of Cthulhu we're talking yeah. about and which arcan- incarnation of Aquaman we're talking about because although we were talking about him as you say he could go toe to toe with Superman sometimes um, he's had different levels of powers in different comics um, I think I'd like to think of him when he went through his a bit of a difficult period where he grew his hair long and lost a hand and then he had it replaced with a harpoon and he went a bit dark for a while. So that's the one I'm going to imagine, which I think at that point he would have stood a fair chance at, if not controlling Cthulhu, then being able to defeat him, um, maybe. But um, in recent years, from what I, I understand, they've kind of taken a bit of a back seat, a backpedaled a bit mm. with his telepathic powers. <clears throat> I think mainly because it's become apparent that there's not that much of a mind there in fish for him to actually control. Uh, I think they thought they might be a bit more intelligent than they thought. <laughs> I think as well it's worth drawing a line in in the com- in the discussion um, because we're not really discussing whether or not he could go toe-to-toe and take Cthulhu down. Mm. We're focusing more on the telepathic control here yeah it? yeah as a, as a rule I I'm not i've not really given much thought as to who would win in a battle between yeah. the two of them i think probably physically despite his uh enormous and powerful nature um aquaman could probably take on cthulhu in a battle mm. but whether or not he could control 
or command Aquaman. Now, see, I think it depends on the on which incarnation, very much like we're talking about which incarnation of Aquaman, which incarnation of Cthulhu we're, we're discussing here. Because when um, other mythos writers like August Derleth came along, they actually described Cthulhu as being a water elemental creature. Now, there are reasons why I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in Lovecraft's original work, he wasn't a water elemental creature. He was an ancient alien being from beyond the stars. From you know, we we weren't talking about somebody who typically would live in a sea, despite the fact that he has a like a head like an octopus, a dragon's wings, and a very humanoid looking body. Fends with these guys, yeah, more like these. Despite those things, he wasn't really a sea creature by nature. In fact, there is uh, evidence in the books that when he was under the sea, his power was actually reduced because of the sea. Mm. When he was at the, uh, entombed at the bottom of the ocean in in Ralea. Uh so I I think to call him a, a water elemental or sea creature would be a disservice to Cthulhu. He's uh, offended. Yeah. <laughs> so I think if we were taking Aquaman almost any incarnation of Aquaman and saying could he control Durleth's version of Cthulhu I think we would be saying yes he probably could do that I think if we were saying could Aquaman control the Cthulhu as described and created by Lovecraft well I think I think Aquaman would be a tasty sea snack uh, for Cthulhu in in that scenario I mean with regards to the power of his mind we're talking with Cthulhu about somebody who was able to send dreams and visions to uh, people around the world while being at the bottom of the ocean with his powers weakened somebody who could affect reality from that position Mm. someone who uh, could drive people insane all around the world how's aquaman gonna defeat that yeah it's it's a lot more than just a a fish isn't it it's a lot more than just (laughs) controlling the trout that he normally normally will uh control to come and help him <laughs> yeah it's, it's a being and a mind of unimaginable power mm. now do i think that cthulhu could fight him yes i uh, do i think aquaman would give a uh, cthulhu a good fight but i don't think that there's any way that aquaman is powerful enough to reach out and touch cthulhu's mind and take control i think if he was to try that i think he would be going insane yeah, I think he's going to be saying before he actually got to fight. Um, but we'll have to see what um, Jason Momoa was like, when he, <laughs> what that Aquaman's like. I think we're all waiting to see what J- Jason Momoa's Aquaman is like. I think yeah, maybe Cthulhu will be in I'm fairly <laughs> sure that the only reason that uh, Jason Momoa was picked for that role was because they wanted somebody who nobody was going to take the mickey out of his, as yeah, Aquaman. Yeah, maybe. But Finally, Aquaman looks badass again, doesn't he? But I think he is, yeah, I think they're going for the troubled Aquaman again, yeah. the the very angry version. Um, yeah, just, just something about the different incarnations that they've been of Aquaman. I think there was a time when they needed to him have him to have a weakness, a bit like Superman's Kryptonite. Um, and I think for a while um, he couldn't live for more than an hour out of the water or something like that. That might have been only for a brief time in the comics, but you know, if it was that Aquaman, then Cthulhu could just come out on land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he starts attacking Arkham, then uh, Aquaman was shouting from the sea <laughs> stop that but um yeah i think if he could 
um, do any of his telepathy with Cthulhu. I think it would just be a little bit of influence. He might mm. be able to like slow him down a little bit in order to get a chance. But yeah, like you were saying, I think his mind would be far too powerful. So yeah, I think basically the answer to whether he can control him or not, I think it would have to be no. But you know, it's a little bit more complicated mm. than we originally thought. Yeah, there is a, a number of factors to consider. But again. If we're t- talking about Lovecraft's version, hands down, Cthulhu is not going to be told what to do by Aquaman. But, he ain't the boss of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> but thinking about that topic has been basically a week well spent, hasn't it, really? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, we could have done so many productive things, but instead we decided to think about who would be able to control who. So there mm. we are. You can look forward to more interesting and relevant topics like that in future episodes of Meadows and Meeples. Let us know what you think. Are you a Cthulhu fan? Are you an Aquaman fan? Do you think that Aquaman could control Cthulhu? Well, let us know in the comments. Are there any Aquaman fans? I don't know who you are, but we're the Middlesome Meeples, and it's time to talk about books. A very particular set of books. Well, now is the section of Middlesome Meeples when we talk about books, and to start us off... um, uh, this week, uh, Matt has a book he's going to tell us about. So, a book I've been reading recently is Caiaphas Kane, Hair of the Imperium. This is an omnibus uh, written by Sandy Mitchell and set in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. So, basically, this book follows the story of Commissar Caiaphas Kane, mm-hmm. a biblical name twice over. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, a commissar is like a, a political officer that would be outside of the chain of command but attached to a unit uh, would handle disciplinary procedures be responsible for morale etc. Usually very strict and stern characters Uh, Caiaphas Cain, if you you are familiar with Discworld, the best way for me to describe Caiaphas Cain to you imagine Rincewind but set in the Warhammer 40,000 universe It's difficult to imagine (laughs) It's about a character who essentially thinks of himself as a coward and is constantly uh, trying to find the easiest way out of things to try and run away from danger. Um, in the Warhammer universe. Yeah, there is a lot of danger in the Warhammer universe. Mm. Um, and everything he does ends up putting him right at the middle of the action. And so he becomes somebody that everyone thinks of as a hero of the Imperium. But essentially all he's ever trying to do is save his own skin. Arguably, the real hero of the story is his aide, Jürgen. Um, but that's another matter. But I say the best way for me to for you to think about the character is Rincewind in the in the um, 40k universe. Jürgen is the luggage. Who <laughs> follows him round and constantly helps, saves his But Yeah, that's actually a very fair analogy. So if you like Warhammer 40,000, if you like some of the Pratchett stories, I think you will like this. It's very good... Uh, sci-fi military action um, the, what, what I've been reading is an omnibus a collection of stories there's also a, a second one that follows straight on from that called uh, Defender of the Imperium so there's plenty of material there if you, you like if you like to read a lot of about a particular character uh, there's a lot of humour in the books as I say another reason why I compared it to uh, Rincewind and the Discworld but there's also a lot of lines there that they've lifted in a comical fashion, straight out of other um, other films and franchises, things that you'll read and go, I know where they got that from. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that's the book I wanted to 
uh, talk about today. I think it's something that you'd enjoy, Richard. Well, yeah, I'd like to read this when you're uh, you're finished with it. Because um, we did actually go to Warhammer World the other day, and that's the first time I've ever been there. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I haven't actually got any Warhammer myself, but I've always, I've often known people that have um, have got armies, and it always looks like a very interesting universe. So I think um, the books would be a bit more manageable than collecting and painting a lot of armies and uh yeah you can go to warhammer world and see them there that other people have made and are fighting with i mean that's always pretty good people do enjoy different things about the warhammer universe and the warhammer hobby some people Mm. they love to take their uh, models to a table and have a massive battle other people are hobbyists who love building and assembling sometimes very complex models um and then painting them i've got friends who do that and they do a fantastic job i wish Mm. i could do that uh, but then there's also, as I say, people who really enjoy looking at the lore, the fluff as it's called, uh, reading the, the books. Yeah, all the backstory is called the fluff. Because um, that's because you're, you're not actually playing a game of it at the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then obviously there's all the licensed uh, products. So some people enjoy playing video games set in the Warhammer universe. Or there's tons of uh, board games and card games out there that mm. have been very popular over the years. Oh yeah, we've done a few of them, haven't we? We've yeah. played quite a number of the uh, ones they've done with Fantasy Flight, for example. Haven't mm. we? And now so, they're valuable. And now they're valuable. <laughs> <laughs> because the GW Games Workshop uh, licensing contract split with... Uh, fantasy flight games didn't they but going back to the topic of the books yeah I think this is one that uh, I would recommend if you like military sci-fi or if you like a bit of humour in your books if you like uh, if, if you enjoy reading about Wincewind take a look at uh, Kaifa's game okay thank you so Matthew thought that was good what are your thoughts let us know thank you for joining Heather Richard and myself on the Medicine Meeples podcast You can also watch full episodes of the show in its entirety and in its individual segments on our YouTube channel and also on our website, meddlesomemeeples.com. If you want to find us on social media and drop us a message, it'd be great to hear from you and let us know what you think of the show. Thank you very, very much for joining us. And uh, we hope we'll see you again next time. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Farewell, Quester, and thanks for joining us. If you wish to avoid the wrath of Grayskarn the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples, instagram.com forward slash the meddlesomemeeples, or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to at Middlesome Meeples. Until next time, Quester, farewell and keep thine axe sharp. Okay, so we're testing. We're trying to get a rid of noise reduction. So I'm recording my voice with no background noise to get the measure.